the last sermon of the Upward Journey series that we've been doing. And this is a fun, special kind of one-off message I get to do because the other New Day Community Church campuses went to a joint service last week, which many of us also went to in the park, actually at the camp down at Bear Lake Bible Camp, which was loads of fun. But because of that, I did this week's message last week, so now I get to do a fun one, whatever I wanted. And we just came off of a series called Things God Hates. So I thought it might be fun to do a series, a, a series, a single message, just one. We should touch on it every now and then, on what God loves. So that's what I put a message on today. But since this is the final message of the Upward Journey, let's read it one last time. Let's say farewell to this slide, which has been the first slide of every presentation we've done for three months. Four months. Wow. The Upward Journey. It's about beholding and becoming. And we get that out of 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul says to the Corinthians, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul's saying, hang out with God. God will rub off on you. You will become like God. It's that simple. You start to reflect the company you keep. And I'm noticing even the formatting is off on these slides. I have no idea. Maybe lightning hit the building or something. But it's so strange. Please ignore that. Well, last few weeks we focused on this verse here. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Which says there are six things that the Lord hates. Thank you, Shimron. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. We hit many of those. We talked about why God hates them. Pop quiz for anyone who wants to yell it out. Why might God hate these things? They're bad. Besides the fact that they're bad. Here's okay, I'll give you a hint. Are they like God's character? No, they're complete opposite to God's character, right? So that's kind of a hint as to what we're going to talk about today, maybe why he loves it so much. But in any case, let's jump in. What does God love? We just spent weeks on what he hates. What does he love? Well, I thought this would be an easy sermon to write. I was wrong. And I'll take you on a brief journey of how I derived this sermon tonight because it's a little weird, but I think it's awesome. But it, it needs a little bit of an intro. So here we go. I realize it's a broad question. I didn't have to sit down too long before I realized I had bitten off more than I could chew in one message. And I thought to myself, what kind of love are we talking about? Love in what sense? Are we talking about like a caring, compassionate love, a romantic love, a loyal love, like and, and love in action, love in emotion? Like, are we talking about uh, what word for love? There's all kinds of different words in the ancient Hebrew and the Greek that are translated love, and I realized, wow, I'm in a real mess. And then I had a thought, aha. If God hates things that are opposite of his character and bad, maybe he loves everything that's good because he's good and he loves everything that's in his character, right? So God loves everything that's good. No, you can't do that. Why? Because the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. Well, God so loved the world. And obviously there's a lot in the world that's fallen and corrupt and nasty and bad. So, hmm, that's not as simple as it seems. So then I realized God just must love everything. And then I thought, no. Dummy, you just spent, like, a month <laughs> talking about things God hates. Obviously, he doesn't love anything. So I have one more idea, the most preacherly thing I could possibly do, and that is to get on the Blue Letter Bible app and do a word search for God loves. Huh? Huh? Yeah. yeah. It turns out 
Amen. This was the winner because <laughs> there are only two verses that are consistently translated throughout all the translations. Yeah, excuse me, translations. Blah 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 blah. God loves blank. I mean, some of the translations go a little nuts. If you read the New Living, New Living Translation, you'll discover that God loves a whole bunch of stuff. Bad news, if you read the King James, God doesn't love anything. But throughout most of the translations, there were two verses with two big ideas. They say the words I'm looking for. God loves blank. And they are as follows. Number one, God loves people. This comes out of Deuteronomy 23, 4 and 5. God is talking about why they shouldn't be nice to this one particular people group when they go into the promised land. And God says this. They hired Balaam, the son of Baor, from Pether and Aram, to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. And there was my key phrase that I was searching for. God loves you. So I latched on to that real quick, and I realized, number one, God loves people. Here's the only other verse in the whole Bible that I can find is consistently translated with this phrase, God loves blank. And it's actually cheerful givers. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for, let's all say it together, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, at least I had a clear answer to my question, right? What does God love? Well, apparently, through my very scientific, creaturely method, we got two things to work with here. God loves you, and God loves a cheerful giver. So this is the question that naturally occurred to me. How in the world do you write a sermon on that? But as I prayed, something kind of remarkable came to me, and I kind of went on this journey this week, as I, because I, I was determined to stick to my guns. I felt like this was the right thing to do. And I was actually sitting at the table, agonizing in prayer. My mom was there. We were sitting out back. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the message. This is it. And I really feel like the Lord was like, boom, here you go. This is awesome. So guys, we're going to go on this journey. How are they related? What does it mean? How is Anthony going to pull this one off? God does miracles. That's why. <laughs> Let's start with God loves a cheerful giver. Let's work backwards. And I think we might be surprised, reminded, blessed by some old truths, and uh, really encouraged by the themes that are going to show up. You guys ready? Let's do this. Let's define cheerfulness. This word, cheer, cheerful, cheerfully, it's actually, there's some several definitions here. It's from the Greek word hylios, or hylios, I think, which means propitious, signifies that readiness of mind, that joyousness which is prompt to do anything, hence Cheerful, and I can't read my own little things. That <laughs> <laughs> That's from Vines Expository, thank you. Yep. And then we have the Strong's Concordance, which says that God was a cheerful or hilarious giver, and uh, propitious or merry, hilarious, prompt or willing, cheerful. And then also we have Thayer's Lexicon, and all these are from the Blue Letter Bible app, you should use it. You can be a big Hebrew and Greek scholar just like me. But Thayer's Lexicon says this word has the main thrust of meaning. Cheerful, joyous, or prompt to do anything. I've heard a lot of pastors preach on this, and they kind of latch on to the obvious, which is we get our modern word hilarious from this Greek word, which is kind of cool, actually, but can that really mean that God loves a, like a maniacally hilarious giver? I don't know, 
that might work, but I want to focus on some other reoccurring themes. All of these definitions revolve around this idea of a readiness of mind and a willingness. This kind of giver that God loves, this word talks about somebody who is absolutely predisposed to do the thing before the thing presents itself. They have a readiness and a willingness. They have a ready yes. Whenever it's go time, that they're like firemen when the alarm goes off, right? Because they're also prompt. All three definitions use the word prompt. Not only are they ready, not only are they willing, but as soon as the opportunity comes, remember last week we talked about the holy opportunists? These guys are like, we're doing it right now. Here's the opportunity. Here's the chance. Let's get this done. So when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, hey, we need to take an offering for these other Christians. God was a cheerful giver. He's not saying, you better give, you better put a smile on your face. He's saying, those of you who just heard that from me, and your hearts are leaping up inside you because you've been just looking for an opportunity to give, you're ready and willing. And now that I've mentioned it, you're ready to throw the money down? Man, God is blessed by you. That's the kind of cheerful giver he loves. Is that cool? That's kind of cool. There are examples of this in the Bible. Crazy, I know. And not only are they examples, they're special examples. More special than other... No, I can't say that. Heresy <laughs> rocks. No. Exodus 25, 1 to 28. 1, excuse me, 1, 2, and 8. The Lord is talking to his man, Moses, and he says, All right, Moses, it's time for you to go down and build me a tabernacle. I want to come and set up shop among my people. So this is how you're going to get the materials. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart, what's that word? Prompts them to give. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. God doesn't just want all their stuff. God wants a gift from the Israelites whose hearts prompt them to give. It takes ten chapters for God to lay out his plan. And then Moses goes back to the Israelites and says this. Oh, incidentally, glad I put that in bold. What are they building? A sanctuary. That's curious. Hmm, a sanctuary, a place for God to dwell among them. Well, I'm sure that doesn't mean anything in particular. We'll put that in the back of our mind and move on. Anyway, ten chapters later, Moses comes down and says, From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing, there's that other word from our definition, is to bring the Lord an offering. God doesn't just want all their stuff, does he? He wants stuff from people who are willing and prompt, cheerful givers. Amen? If that was the only example that we had in the whole Bible for this, we would be in that pretty neat territory. <laughs> Does anybody ever watch Nature Watch on YouTube? Praise the Lord. I don't know that person just floored me, man. Summoning the mountain beast, like shaking up the earth. Oh my gosh. I, that was both frustrating and glorious at the same time. But this is not where it ends. There are other examples of this. Here we go. First Chronicles 29. David is talking to the people. He's about to kick the bucket. He wants to build a temple for God. God said, no, not you. Your son's going to do it. But David is like, man, i got to do something to help. His heart is willing. He's prompt to give a bunch of stuff. So we can safely say that David is a cheerful giver. But this is the speech he gives to the people. Check this out. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Now, who is willing? 
to consecrate themselves to the Lord today. That's kind of his kingly way to say, who is also willing to give up much of their treasure for the temple? And then this happens. The leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of, tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave, what's that word? Willingly. Willingly. Then the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly. Here we have, again, God asking for funding. And he takes it from people, not just anybody. He doesn't say, cough it up. I'm here to collect. Maybe you don't know I'm God around here. And empty the pockets. He says, I want to take from whoever is willing. Whoever's going to give freely and wholeheartedly. And incidentally, well, that's curious. Look at that. Huh. It's cheerful givers, but what are they building? What are they giving towards? A temple. Interesting. First it was a sanctuary, now it's a temple. God wants people to give cheerfully to his temple. No, I'm sure that doesn't really mean anything. Let's put that in the back of our mind and move on, shall we? Alright, let's sum up. God loves it when we give cheerfully. From these examples, we can tell that that means this. He loves it when we give quickly. I think it's the first one. My slide is not responding. Let's do this. Yes. Willingly, quickly, happily, sacrificially. Not under compulsion was what Paul said. God loves it. God is blessed. He is happy when you give willingly, quickly, happily, and sacrificially. We have people that are giving what's valuable to them. God doesn't think lightly of that. God loves that. Don't think that he's some kind of trifling God who's just here to get all of your stuff. And this demonstrates the heart of God. God hates what he hates because it's the opposite of his character. It's bad for us and it doesn't reflect him. He loves what he loves because it does reflect his character. And this reflects the very heart of God. Look at the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But you know, but this brings us around to an interesting, interesting point, doesn't it? What did God love so much that he gave his only son? The world, right? And we know that probably doesn't mean rocks and trees and hills in context, because the next word is whosoever, right? So he's talking about people, which actually takes us around to the other thing we're talking about God loving, which is you. God loves you. And he loves you so much, he gave an awful lot. Let's talk about God's love for you. Just a minute, shall, shall we? In the context of cheerful giving. Because I think what we're going to discover is, once we realize that by cheerful giving, reflecting the heart of God, we're talking about something that's quick, willing, happily done, prompt, and sacrificial, we're going to make sense of one of the odder verses in the Bible. And that verse, I hope it's on the next slide. Yes, it is. Way to go. Memorizing your slide, Joe Anthony. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. No, 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 please. Here we go. Here's the verse. <laughs> Isaiah 53, 9 and 10. This is a prophetic verse in the Old Testament talking about Jesus. He, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Here's the line that's weird. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. There are critics of the Bible, and there are some theologians that say this is a case of divine child abuse. 
Because what you have is God the Father happy to beat up and brutally murder his son. I'm not making that up. Some people will make this quote, this case. And they open the Bible and they point to this verse and they say, see what a monster God is. He's pleased to crush his son. But I want to push back. What did we just talk about? What kind of giver does God like? A hilarious, maniacal giver who's like, oh great, we're going to murder my son. No. Willing, prompt, sacrificial, and pleased to do it. This is God being a cheerful giver of himself. This is no kind of abuse at all, and we can prove it. Let's shrink down that, the rest of that verse, but keep the key phrase here, and let's look at Jesus talking. This is how Jesus described this very thing Isaiah was prophesying about in John 10. Jesus himself, who's about to die, the one God the Father is pleased to crush, says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep, and no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. You know what of my own accord means? It means he's willing. And he's prompt to do it. The Bible says at just the right time he appeared. Opportunity came, he's in there. And you know, if you were really listening to me earlier when I was talking about the Israelites and, and Deuteronomy 23 when it says God loves you, you might be tempted to think that was only for Israel, only back then. Yes, God loved ancient Israel, but can we really apply that to the whole world? And I'm going to tell you safely, yes, we absolutely can, because here is 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 6. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants how many people? All, All people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. God loves a cheerful giver, and God loves you, and you means y'all. <laughs> Amen. And he loves you so much, he was willing, quick, sacrificial, and happy to give his own life to redeem you. God willingly, promptly, and cheerfully sacrificed himself for all people. This is amazing. But amazingly, there's even more. God loves cheerful givers. There's a lot in the Bible, actually, about the benefits of giving, but this isn't a message on that. I encourage you to look into that. But God loves cheerful givers because he is the biggest cheerful giver in the Bible. So it should be no surprise that one of the ways God shows his intense love for us is through cheerful giving. Look at this, Romans 8, 31 to 32. What shall we say then, Paul says, in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Graciously, promptly, willingly, sacrificially. If he gave his own son, how is he not going to give us more things? So you're probably asking, like, what things? Well, allow me to give you a very incomplete list, if I may. Here's an extremely incomplete list of what God gives you because he loves you so much. Number one, provision. God cares about stuff. These are just some verses you can look at. 2 Corinthians 9.10 that actually says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Meaning God actually wants you to reap bountifully. That means actual stuff. 
Matthew 6, 25 to 34, that's God talking about how he knows you need stuff. And when I say stuff, think actual stuff, like food and clothes and a place to stay. We're not talking about spiritual stuff. We're talking about stuff stuff, like new shoes for work. Does this make sense? Did you know God actually cares about that? He loves a cheerful giver. It's part of his character. He loves to give to people because he loves people. Provision is one of the things he gives, but there's more. God gives guidance and he gives wisdom. Work clicker. Guidance and wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Who knows that one's famous? Anybody? You're on the spot. That's okay. But trust your ways. Be not on your understanding. That's right. Commit your ways to him and he will direct your paths. God will give guidance. And along with guidance, he'll give wisdom. In James 1, James says, look, if you don't have wisdom and you need wisdom, ask God. He freely gives wisdom. Go get it. God wants you to know where you're going. Do you have questions about life? Do you know which step you should take next? Do you have a difficult situation to navigate? Is the nitty-gritty of everyday life confusing? Did you know God cares about that? God cares about you actually having enough to eat, having clothes to wear, getting shoes for work. God cares about the car repair, and God cares about you knowing what to do with your life. He cares about you knowing how to navigate each situation. Why does he give us this stuff? Because he loves us. So he cheerfully gives. But there's one more, and there's a big, this is an incomplete list. But I'm going to tell you, you can get all the stuff you need, and you can get all the guidance you need from moment to moment and still be a real mess. Amen? You can still be living moment to moment. You can still be torn up on the inside. You still have a lot of unresolved funk going on in the heart. You're really not happy, to be honest with you. And then you just have a guy who's meeting your needs, and you're not really any better off for it. You're just miserable. If that's you, one more thing. God gives His Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Romans 5, 5. God Himself sacrificed Himself freely because He loves you. And then He comes Himself and lives in you because He loves you. And as a subset of this gift comes so many other gifts that it would be silly to even mention them. The fruit of the Spirit. You get love, you get joy, you get peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And of course, all of the gifts of the Spirit are actually gifts of the Spirit. They're gifts that you get from God. He freely and cheerfully gives because He loves you. So that would be faith, encouragement, prophecy, speaking in tongues, all those things. And I agree with the scholars that say Paul's lists in Corinthians and Romans are probably incomplete lists. There's probably lots of more gifts of the Spirit that he didn't mention. You get lots of stuff. Why would God so freely give you all that stuff? Because he loves you. God loves you. And he loves to cheerfully give to you. Incidentally, what is he building? Hmm. It would appear to be the same thing that Moses and King David wanted to build. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Wow. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And you together, y'all, are that temple. I don't think it's a coincidence that the two Old Testament examples of cheerful givers giving willingly, quickly, happily, and sacrificially 
are giving gifts to build a dwelling place for God. And that God's ultimate cheerful giving is also going to build a dwelling place for God. I don't think that's a mistake. I think they're all related. Do you guys think that that's, that's related? I do. When I was getting ready for this message, I was like, dang, that's awesome. I love when I have moments like that. First Chronicles 29.14. Wait, I don't want to do that yet. One more. Since the upward journey has been about beholding and becoming, we don't just want to learn about God's heart. We actually want to mirror it. Okay? So let's go back to when David was taking offerings for the temple in the same chapter with all those willingly's and freelies and wholeheartedly's. God actually had to tell him to stop. Do you know that? They actually gave so much, God actually had to say enough is enough already. Some of you guys need to take back your treasures. You've given too willingly and too freely and too wholeheartedly. We've got enough. God was blessed by that. And David was blessed by that too. And King David prayed this prayer back to God. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And so it comes full circle, doesn't it? God loves us and he shows it through giving, not just any kind of giving, not begrudging you guys, cheerful, wholehearted, sacrificial, willing, prompt giving. It should be an honor to cheerfully give what we have been given. And if it is hard to do that, who are we giving it to? We're giving it to the church, and ultimately, so I would say, <laughs> it helps to keep in mind what we're building too, doesn't it? God loves a cheerful giver, and God loves you. And he shows he loves you by cheerfully giving. Let's do the same. Thank you. I'm going to give it to Justin. Let's give him a hand. Something that kind of stuck out to me was when Anthony said he delight, he loves a cheerful giver. And it occurred to me that we can make God happy. Like, we have the ability to stir the heart of the creator. True. That's astounding. Yes. That's crazy. So he's not like aloof. He's not way up in the sky. He's like right here with us. He's like, I love you guys. And then it also occurred to me that before we could ever do anything, before we say anything, and before we ever have or own or possess anything, he loves us. He just loves us. That is so good. Let's close in prayer. We're going to end the night. Father God, we thank you so much for your generous heart. Thank you for the way that you gave your son for us. Thank you for the way that you give us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And I thank you for giving us the ability to be generous um, and to give. Yeah, I pray that the, the response that we have would be to have open hands with everything you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Guys, you are officially dismissed. Um, we will have prayer ministry.